Do we ever start writing blind to story? Not blind as in sightless, but blind in having no idea where we are going with the story. I say no. Many writers agree with me. Even if we have only the faintest glimmer of an idea, we have something. The best short narratives engage and surprise us. Lester Dent knows how to keep each story separate rather than a dull repetition of previous ones. He decides certain major points before he puts pen to paper. We should too. And this episode can help. Welcome to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Lester Dent's Master Plot Formula guided the last few episodes of our Mixed Miscellany series. We related Dent's advice to short stories, short narrative poems or ballads, and abbreviated anecdotes. No novelettes or 15 stanza ballads or 500-word anecdotes here. We discussed structure, the opening and closing emphasis for each of the four parts of the narrative, and the middle focus for each part. Now it's time to look at Dent's last advice, our pre-story building blocks and the checks for each part. Building blocks. That's a starting point for a successful story. Let's remove one argument immediately. Those writers who are pantsters, who start writing with only the weakest of ideas, a character, or the hint of a situation, or a shadow of trouble, can still use these building blocks. We may not write these down. We may hold them in our head, but we've still done them. I tried to be a plotter, by the way, deciding all my scenes, blocking out events, only to be stymied because my own curiosity withered and the story was lost. Now I'm a pantster. When I start, I merely have an idea about a character or situation. I know my genre and the subgenre. By the time I write the first two pages, though, I know much more about my character and the conflict and the arc of the story. Changes may and should occur as my characters take control of the story. That's a good thing. I know the high points that I want to hit, whether I'm writing a novel or short story. I'm using patterns as guides, but I always alter the pattern. That makes each story individual. A pattern, a formula, is like a recipe. Good cooks learn a recipe, then alter it to their taste. Experiment with flavors and a texture. Great cooks can read a new recipe and alter it before they even start cooking it the first time. And it's just as good. Great writers, like great cooks, alter patterns or formulas. Patterns or formulas give us markers, guidelines, or benchmarks to achieve. How we achieve them is personal and individual. Whether we are a plotter or a pantster or a puzzler, 
whether we write scene to scene or chronologically or piece by piece. Experienced writers, veterans of long practice, have internalized these markers or guidelines, the benchmarks of the pattern or formula. Lester Dent gives us writers his master plot formula to help us. The four-part formula itself has as a major element in each part a surprise twist. See, even he didn't want cookie-cutter plots. It's a formula, a recipe that we tweak. We actually have to tweak it. Cooks will tweak recipes whether they try to or not. Ovens that bake with temperature differences, daily changes in humidity, slight changes in ingredients like the difference in manufacturing salt and sea salt or in grinds of salt, all these affect the final product. Even new cooks who use bought cookie dough already pre-sliced will vary the given cooking directions with humidity and oven temps. They can't help it. Lester Dent gives us building blocks for short stories, which we can expand easily for longer stories into novelettes and novellas and novels and epics and series. Let me quote him directly. He says, here's how it starts. These are the building blocks, remember? One, a different murder method for villain to use. Two, a different thing for villain to be seeking. Now, he says villain, and he was writing action-adventure. We can say trouble or conflict or go. Three, a different locale. Four, a menace which is to hang like a cloud over our hero. He says hero, I say main character. One of these different things, Dent goes on to say, would be nice. Two better, three swell. It may help if they are fully in mind before tackling the rest. A different murder method could be different. Thinking of shooting, knifing, hydrocyanic, garroting, poison needles, scorpions, a few others, and writing them on paper gets them where they may suggest something. Scorpions and their poison bite? Maybe mosquitoes or flies treated with deadly germs. If the victims are killed by ordinary methods but found under strange and identical circumstances each time, it might serve the reader, of course, not knowing until the end that the method of murder is ordinary. Scribes who have their villains, victims found with butterflies, spiders, or bats stamped on them could conceivably be flirting with his gag. Probably it won't do a lot of good to be too odd, fanciful, or grotesque with murder methods. The different thing for the villain to be after might be something other than jewels, the stolen bank flute, the pearls, or some other old ones. Here again, one might get too bizarre. Unique locale? That's easy, according to him. Selecting one that fits in with the murder method and the treasurer, the thing that villain wants, makes it simpler. And it's also nice to use a familiar one, a place where you've lived or worked. So many pulpiteers don't. It sometimes saves embarrassment to know nearly as much about the locale as the editor, are enough to fool him. Here's a nifty, much used in faking local color. For a story laid in Egypt, say, the author finds a book titled Conversational Egyptian Easily Learned, or something like that. He wants a character to ask in Egyptian, what's the matter? He looks in the book and finds El Kabar, eh? To keep the reader from getting dizzy, 
it is perhaps wise to make it clear in some fashion just what that means. Occasionally the text will tell this, or someone can repeat it in English, but it's a doubtful move to stop and tell the reader in so many words the English translation. The writer learns they have palm trees in Egypt. He looks in the book, finds the Egyptian for palm trees, and uses that. This kids the editors and readers into thinking he knows something about Egypt. What did you notice in that? Different, different, different. Nothing too odd or fanciful or grotesque or bizarre. Ordinary with a twist. Unique or everyday with touches of local flavor, local color as Jean Webster called it. Before we start, Dent wants us to understand these important differences. The method of the trouble, the different goal or desire, the different and distinct setting. We also need to work the menace, the danger for our main character, into the story constantly. A danger individualized for that character, one that will affect the main character in the heart or in the gut. These are the building blocks. Dent also gives us checkups for each part. After the first, we check. Does it have suspense? Is there a menace? Does everything happen logically? After the second part is written, we check. Does the second part have suspense? Does the trouble grow like a black cloud? Is our main character having difficulties? Is the second part logical? The third says, does it still have suspense? Is the menace or trouble getting blacker? Does our main character find him or herself in a fix? Does it all happen logically? After four, guess what we start with? The suspense. Is it held out to the last line? The menace. Is it held out to the last? Has everything been explained? And is it logical? Is the punchline, the snapper, enough to leave the reader with that warm feeling? Did God kill the villain? Are the main character. See the pattern? Each part requires suspense. Each part increases the trouble, the menace, the danger to the main character. Remember, this danger can be physical and external or emotional and internal, spiritual or intellectual, from a relationship or from one's career or profession or from a neighbor or a passerby. Each part must happen logically. The second and third add increased trouble for our main character. In the fourth, to ensure a successful ending to the story, Dent adds everything explained, which is a second check on the logic. And God, our main character, because coincidence, luck, fate, unexplained supernatural intervention is a story killer. Now, let's look at a famous story song of the 1960s to see how it uses surprise in the building blocks while it maintains logic, even in a fanciful world. All trouble will be held until the fourth stage. The song creates a wonderful, enchanted world, then casts everything to gloom. Inferred, though, is a happy ending. Puff the Magic Dragon will have links to the famous version by Peter, Paul, and Mary. In the show notes, here's the first stage. Puff the magic dragon lived by the sea 
and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. Little Jackie Paper loved that rascal puff and brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff. Oh, Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. That, of course, is our chorus. It creates this fanciful world where dragons live, Honolulu. Jackie Paper gives Puff what little boys are interested in. Here's the second stage, and I won't read the chorus. It doesn't change. Together they would travel on a boat with billowed sail. Jackie kept a lookout perched on Puff's gigantic tail. Noble kings and princes would bow whene'er they came. Pirate ships would lower their flags when Puff roared out his name. So Jackie's keeping lookout. Puff is roaring. We still have an innocent childhood ideal land. Third stanza. A dragon lives forever. But not so little boys. Ah, we're entering the menace, the trouble. Painted wings and giant's rings make way for other toys. One gray night it happened. Jackie Paper came no more. And Puff, that mighty dragon, he ceased his fearless roar. His head was bent in sorrow. Green scales fell like rain. Puff no longer went to play along the cherry lane. Without his lifelong friend, Puff could not be brave. So Puff, that mighty dragon, sadly slipped into his cave. Without his lifelong friend, Puff could not be brave. The irony here, they expected to be lifelong friends. But boys grow up to men and forget childhood adventure for the adventure of adulthood. Notice how Jackie is growing up in the first two stanzas and he's achieved adulthood in the third. That's a logical progression, which continues with Puff forlorn and abandoned, retreating to his cave. The wonder is created in the first two stanzas, then destroyed in the second two stanzas. Yet Puff is merely in retreat. Another little child will find him and the adventures will resume because we have the chorus. I remember crying the first time I heard this song. It's the ideal world destroyed, innocence broken, an admission of the end coming with the hope of a new beginning. Next week, we have two more episodes in our summer series of A Mixed Miscellany. We'll look at the four requirements of song, four requirements that suit any short narrative, poem, or story, or anecdote. We finished Lesser Dent's Master Plot Formula, so we're moving on. Inspiration for this week comes from Sinclair Lewis, who said, Writers kid themselves about themselves and other people. Take the talk about writing methods. Writing is just work. There's no secret. If you dictate or use a pen or type or type with your toes, it is just work. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found 
found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at linkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.